This week's podcast is a very special episode as I'm chatting to Richard Reed, CBE, founder of Innocent Smoothies and Jam Jar Investments. Richard founded Innocent back in 1998 with his two university friends who all quit their jobs to bring smoothies to the UK market. Initially operating from a market stall, the trio worked hard and grew the business into a creative and well-loved brand that had the courage to do things differently. Their brand grew to become the largest juice creator in Europe and in 2013, Innocent was sold to Coca-Cola. Richard then went on to found his latest business, Jam Jar Investments, which is a venture capital fund which invests in companies including Deliveroo, Grays and Propercorn, with the same trio he's been working with for now over 15 years. Richard also set up the Innocent Foundation in 2004 and remains a trustee. The charity invests in food security, local food poverty, breakthrough developments and emergency hunger relief around the world. I had the complete pleasure of meeting Richard in his Jam Jar offices, where we chatted about his journey, building a world-famous brand, what it was like selling his business to Coca-Cola, and his complete passion for building businesses that utterly and truly give back. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown I'm Holly Tucker and welcome to Conversations of Inspiration. Back in 2006, I founded Not On The High Street for my kitchen table and since then I've gone on to launch Holly & Co. I'm the UK ambassador of Creative Small Businesses and I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. My dream is to help everybody start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the best way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to my favourite small businesses, entrepreneurs and those who simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Hi, Richard. This is exciting. You're a complete hero of mine. Actually, you're a complete hero of so many people that I know. Innocent is one of those killer brands that I truly admire. It went against the grain. It was bold. It was funny. Your attention to detail is something that I still talk about to all small businesses that I mentor. Now we're sitting in your latest business, Jam Jar Investments HQ, which is rather cool. Everyone listening can imagine it's Full of jam jars. Full of jam jars. And in each jam jar is something that uh, represents one of your investments. And some of those jars. I saw Grey's Deliveroo and I want to talk to you about this if that's okay with you in a bit. But to begin with, I just wanted to start and have the honour of hearing firsthand your story of Innocent, how it came about, going back to the very beginning, if you wouldn't mind, when you met at university. Well, Innocent is, it's a story of friendship, actually. I met my, what became my best pals, Adam and John at university we bonded over there being a lack of nightlife. We were at Cambridge, and it seemed to be the principal evening activity was drinking beers in the college and singing rugby songs. And I was a guy from Huddersfield. I just hadn't come across this thing before. It, it wasn't my vibe. N- no judgment of it. It was like, that's not my kind of thing. What I was obsessed with at that point, because it was just at the advent of house music, was clubbing and DJing. And the only music being played in college at that time was Dex's Midnight Runners and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. But I found a couple of people that sort of felt the same way. We were like, well, why don't we start doing it ourselves? We never DJed before. We never put on club nights before. But today you're doing it with a couple of other people and it feels a lot less intimidating. So we started doing that and we got – it actually it, it became super popular. The nights we put on, it was a night called Please. And we DJed at it and organised it. And we just realised two things. One, as a team – we worked super well together. And secondly, it's like, it's even more fun being the guys organizing it than being the, on the dance floor. Yeah. So we made a very sort of, I think actually a relatively sort of spiritually positive decision right there. And then we said, oh, we, one day we will set up a business together. But its principal reason would be to have 
and build a life and a bus to drive on through that life with uh, as three friends. Uh, and to me, it's the thing that I love most about it. it was It was really ultimately an excuse for getting to hang out with my mates post-college. And the idea for Innocent was, in fact, born of a hangover. We were on a skiing holiday feeling grim one morning, but having the same conversations we'd had for seven years now of, look, we said one day we we're going to set the business and what would that business be? And we wanted something that was going to make life a little bit easier and better for people. And we wanted something, we realized it wasn't something that we ourselves needed and wanted. And right then we needed and wanted something healthy just to make up for the fact we felt so bad from the night before. And so the idea, that's why we did, oh, we'll do smoothies because they're great and they're really healthy. And our mum's always saying she get more fruit and all we ever seem to do is basically eat pizza and drink beer. So let's do that. And it was such a straightforward, simple idea. You buy fruit, you crush it, you put it into bottles. We could get our heads around it. And actually that is, I'm not trying to minimize it. We did do lots of research and write a business plan and all the rest of it. But fundamentally the business started by us buying 500 pounds worth of fruit and literally crushing it up and putting it into bottles. We made a thousand bottles of smoothies and took them to a local music festival and set up a market stall at the festival. And it's a very simple stall. It was just some planks of wood over some bales of hay with the bottles of smoothie there. But the unusual feature of it was a big sign above it that said, should we give up our jobs to make these smoothies? And we had a bin that said yes on the front and a bin that said no on the front. And we asked people to buy the smoothies and vote with the empty bottles. And we made a commitment to each other that if at the end of the weekend the S-bin was full, we'd go in the Monday morning and resign. And we got to the end of the weekend and the S-bin was full. There was a few bottles in the no-bin. And oh man, this is like 20 years ago. It was only about seven years ago. Our parents confessed they weren't putting the bottles in the no-bin because they were I was going to mention that. I yeah. saw that. Yeah, that but saw. it's true. It's true. And every time I say that publicly, my mum goes, oh, you've got to stop saying that. It makes us sound like unsupported parents. But, you know. We, but the, they were scared. Yeah, they were. The, 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 I, I, I couldn't love my parents more. They've just been like the, the, the gold standard parenting. So they're just, they're only ever, my mum's just like perpetually worried and just wants to make sure everything's okay. And so it's, it's quite a scary idea. My dad was a slightly more pragmatic thing. And he said, well, I, uh, are you sure it's fruit juice? I think it should be yogurt. So he had a sort of quite specific sort of oh, yeah. dairy a, a specific agenda. specific concern. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> yogurt like... versus fruit <laughs> rather than actually your livelihood. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really weird way for your parental concern to come out. It's like, it's got to be yogurt. But anyway, we did do a yogurt one, but it didn't work that well in the long term. So it, it was the catalyst. We'd actually had this weird Monday morning because it was literally the very next day and we'd all said we're going to resign from our jobs at 10 o'clock. I went to my boss's office, a guy called Jorian Murray. I stood outside at 9.57 on the Monday morning. I'm thinking, what am I doing? I can't go and resign. I'm like, I'm renting a house. This is the only money I get is the wage from here. I've got literally no cash. If I walk out of my job now, I, I, none of it makes sense. I've got no money to live from. So I sort of bottled it and I went back to my desk and I called Adam and John and they said, have you resigned? And I said, no. And they said, why not? And I said, well, had they at that time? Well, that's what I said. Have you, have you two? And they went, no, no, we haven't either. So we all collectively <laughs> independently bottled it. So then we all said, okay, at 10.30, we're going to go do it. And then so we went back and we did. And then, yeah, there's just this, there's, what's that hippie phrase about, you know, what you commit, the universe provides. And I have to say, as I get older, I'm sort of starting really to believe in that. But also just in a very pragmatic sense, if you actually start doing it, then you've sent out the signal. It's going, I'm doing this. And then people that are around you that, you know, your friends and family, just even people you meet randomly, they go, oh, you're doing that? Oh, no, I understand you're doing that. And then they might help. And I can't tell you the amount of unsolicited help that we got given because we were like, oh, we're doing a juice company. People are like, oh, that's really interesting. Well, I know so-and-so, you know, makes orange juice. You want to speak to them? And I literally had people stop on the street as they would walk past and see me unloading the van because there's a lot of loading and unloading the van. I go, well, mate, do you want a hand? Like some random punters on the street helping. He's like, I love this country. I, I love our species. I love humans. It's like we're mm. inbuilt. We want to help. And if you stand up and go, I'm going to do this. A lot of people go, good for you, mate. How can I help? It's so interesting you saying that. And I think when we go back to what is a quite a famous story of the bins and the yes and no, and should I give up my job? You know, someone gave you permission right there. And then you were asking for permission to take that moment. And if I speak to a lot of businesses now, it's this belief that there's this perfect moment. I always say it's like having a child, you know, there's absolutely no perfect moment. And they're sort of waiting, they're holding back to actually take that step. 
And so I love that as a just sort of an iconic um, story, which is, there you go, you asked two dustbin liners, you know, <laughs> bins and people said yes and no. Mm. And that's just the permission you needed. Obviously, you could have made that decision without it, but it just helped knowing that people liked the idea yeah. and it was an indication and that you could on 10.30 the next, on the Monday morning, give up your job. And I do try and push people to say, well, what would make you feel like you could give up your job? What could make you feel, and it's not necessarily a perfect business plan, money in the bank, the design ready, the logo, the whole thing is actually just the momentum of making that decision. And I love where you're saying that the universe provided. I wanted to touch on investment here as it's one of the questions I'm most asked. You know, the landscape is incredibly different now to when um, you started, even when I started. There are so many sort of routes now available to businesses. When you all decided to start Innocent, how did you literally start? After quitting your jobs, I presumed there had been savings, but from the sounds of it, there might not have been. <laughs> there was, was literally the last there was literally the last month's paycheck. So the last but, parts of the paycheck. So d- how did you think that this was going to um, you know, where did you think that investment was going to come from? I, I, I have to say we were insane. We thought it would take three weeks from having resigned to be up and running. Okay. <laughs> it took 18 months. Yeah. We were mad. We just, we had, we actually had absolutely no idea of how difficult it was. And if we had have known how difficult it was going to be, we definitely, definitely wouldn't have done it. Yeah. The beauty of naivety. The beauty of naivety. Yeah. That said, the counterpoint to that, though, is if we had have known then how much the next 15 years and then subsequent, having sold the business in my life now, how much it was going to be worth it to go through that brutal 18 months, then I definitely would have done it, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yep. But, yep. oh, wow, were we unprepared for it. No, I mean, it's, 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 we have, I've got no, nothing clever to tell you. It was credit card debt. Mm-hmm. We were on the dole. I was on housing benefit, slightly faking it because you're supposed to be looking for jobs. And I'm like, well, I'm trying to create a business. And they're like, yeah, but that's not valid. I'm like, but isn't that better if I create a business rather than just, they're like, no, they were trying to get me to have a bar job in this pub in Fulham. I'm like, I can, but I'm trying to set up a business. And I think long-term it's going to be better for everyone, including myself. But anyway, so we did that for a bit. And, but yeah, we, we got in debt. And that's the scary bit because it's getting, the, the, the launch date is getting further and further away and you're getting more and more into the, into the red. And yeah. And why was it being pushed? So what were those parts when I think about the audience that's listening, sort of, you know, that building bits of building a business? Yeah. Was it literally, I need a bank account, we need, you know, to be able to find the bottles for the juices, et cetera, et cetera. What was, what was that, that difference of timeline? Well, I think that we, that we saw, and obviously it's very, there's a lot to do with setting up a business. We saw those three principal things. One, we need to raise money because none of us have got any and we're not from rich backgrounds. Secondly, we're going to have to find someone to work with to make these things. So we're going to find a, essentially a factory that's going to go yes. And thirdly, we're going to need a brand because it's, you know, we're not trying to be running a factory and being an own label. We're creating something. So there was the three principal work streams. You think, yeah, I don't know, three weeks will be fine, won't it? And what happened was we, we tried to raise money and literally I, I've never been on the receiving end of so many no's. It's just like everyone said no. We applied. There was a thing called the Small Business Loan Guarantee Scheme. Oh, I remember. Great government initiative. Love it. The idea is the government acts as the guarantor for a loan that a bank will make. So there's no risk to the bank to fund startups of young people. We applied 20 different times to 20 different banks, got turned down at 20 times. You're like, on the 20th rejection, you go, okay, maybe <laughs> that, that's the end of that path. And then people say you've got to go to venture capital firms, business angels, and Again, I'm a guy, I, I genuinely, it sounds a bit naive, but I did not even heard the phrase mm-hmm. business angel, venture capitalist, business plan. These are words I had not heard before. Now, fortunately, I'm doing it with a couple of guys that are smarter than me, and they're like, you know, these people, and they invest, and they're like, oh, okay, great. So you get the directory, and you, you just go through them, and you systematically go and approach every single one, and everyone said no. I remember one guy got a meeting, said, well, you score zero out of five in the investor's handbook. You're too young. You've never done it before. You're trying to take on a massive industry. You've got no clear leader. And you're going to be threatened by the supermarkets if you ever get successful anyway. And we're like, is it? It's just a terrible idea. So we're going through all this and we're going, oh, 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 right. That's 
slightly disappointing. And in real life, after a year, I was like, God, we're nowhere. And we've actually now, we got to the end of the directories. We, we went to this thing called the London Enterprise Network Trust. Brilliant organization. Puts you in the room as young, a young startup with loads of business angels that want to invest. We get our slot. It's half an hour pitching to a room of 50 people. Their whole reason of being there is to invest in a startup business. We do the presentation that we've been practicing for days. At the end of the presentation, we go to this room full of 50 potential business angels go, and if anyone's interested, if they could just show their hand, and literally 50 people did not put their hands up. So you have to pack up your smoothies in your little bag oh, and walk no. off stage, right? Zero. So actually, the truth of innocence is we did give up. We gave up the light because we ran out of options. And then it was our flatmate who ever heard us and told us this theory of Kevin Bacon, the actor, that everyone's only one, there's six stages removed from Kevin Bacon or something. And everyone knows someone. He's like, his insight was, you will know someone who knows someone who's rich. So we just sent out this email and the subject line said, does anyone know anyone who's rich? And then we just spammed as many email addresses as we could get. Spammed half of London with it. We got back a few responses. It was quite a funny email. Yeah. So anyone only rich, it gets noticed, it gets sent on. We got one from my ex-boss who confessed to be having a, an affair with a married tax exile who lived in Monaco, and she was prepared to send the business plan to him. He took a pass, but they had this great <laughs> bit of gossip. And then the second one was like a, a, an old school friend from John's got in touch. They hadn't seen each other since they were 16, but he'd done work experience in the office of a guy that he overheard doing angel deals and said, well, look, I can introduce you to this guy. I don't know if he's going to be interested. And that guy turned out to be a guy called Morris Pinto. who's an American guy. He heard the pitch. He said, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I think it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a bad idea. Yeah. And we were trying to raise 250,000. And he said, but you know, I'll, I'll put in 50,000. And the good news is I'm the lead investor in the network of investors. We've done deals together the last 20 years. If I put my money in, they follow with their money. So I'll get the other 200 from them. Great. And this is a whole new world to me. It's like, this this happens? Although it's just like stuff in the movies. Here we go back a couple of weeks later and he goes, okay, for the first time in 20 years, they've all said no. They're not prepared to put the money in. They think it's a terrible idea. So I'll put in, um, I'll put in the extra 200,000 myself. Wow. Cut forward about 10 years later, this guy's telling this story to a room full of uh, entrepreneurs that we were sort of doing a, a talk at. And somebody puts their hand up and said, did you do, did you put in the extra 200? because you thought it was a good idea or out of a sense of obligation. He said, oh, entirely out of a sense of obligation. <laughs> like, great. <laughs> In my, my view, you've got to take whatever's going, you know. But without him, definitely no innocent. Without that stupid email, definitely no him. So I don't know. There's yeah. no secrets, is there? You can get lucky on your first go, or it might take you your thousandth go. But I do think this, if you keep going and you're prepared to sort of try different approaches, not just necessarily banging your head in the same way, but just finding, I don't know, yeah, just... It's your if you spirit, give in, you've though. given up. It's your spirit. I mean, the, the thing here is that you didn't give up. I mean, you did give up at one stage, maybe mentally, but, you know, the passion, the energy was alive within you. And, yeah. Well, and you know it, what? It was, it was weirdly. I was, I was more, I was kind of partly. Was, there's a very, the, the positive thing was, this is what the best advice I can ever really give to anyone is like, do it with, do it with some people that you love and trust. Because you're doing it, three of us, no way would I been able to do it by myself I wouldn't have had the I wouldn't have had the guts and I wouldn't have had the skills and I wouldn't have had the motivation to keep going with all the no's but with the team of three someone's having a good day to compensate for the bad days so you keep each other in the sort of the loop into the loop yeah and it's such an important lesson for businesses not to give up and no matter how many no's when you think about JK Rowling got rejected 12 times right before finding a publisher Airbnb met with 15 angel investors and not one single person was interested and as you said you scored this zero out of five you know you no, I were, didn't. well not you <laughs> they did yeah. <laughs> it's like, mate, it's a five. <laughs> yeah, not you. Personally. You know what? Actually, I wasn't mate, it was a five. I was just like so scared and nervous. I yeah. don't know what this is. Yeah. You're going in like presenting to some sort of like business sausage in a suit, your idea for a business. You think well, the whole thing we just made up anyway. Yeah. And he was right. Yeah. I felt like validated. I felt my negative voices were validated by him going, of course not. Yeah. If you believe in the idea, though, and that's what we're saying, and you think that it will actually benefit the world, there is this sort of other alternative energy that comes around you to make it happen. One of the most beloved, refreshing and just bloody clever 
things about Innocent, and I'd say it's not really being rivaled today, is its attention to detail. Mm. The most genius but tiniest details that you barely notice, but when you do, it makes you instantly love the brand. For instance, you changed your use-by dates to enjoy-by dates, or on the bottom of the bottles, you had the line, stop looking at my bottom. Yeah. Where did this inspiration come from and where did that tone of voice come from? Oh, the tone of voice is just the three of us. It was really interesting. A friend of ours from college had sort of disappeared off to, I think they'd been to Thailand or something, for 10 years teaching. Completely lost out of touch with them. And she was telling me this story that when she'd come back to London, she didn't know anything about any of this. And she'd just go out and she'd buy a bottle of juice. It's this company called Innocent. She drinks it and she starts reading it. And she thinks to herself, blimey, this really reminds me of Richard, Adam and John. I thought it was an amazing thing for her to say. It's just like, it was just our sense of wow, humour. And we just cool. had to think like, we just never understood why businesses get all really pompous. You know, like sort of greater yes. than. Yes. It's like, we well, are on a Grown about. up. Yeah, we're just, like, we're just humans having a nice time, basically. And just speak to people like you speak to your mates, minus the swear words. That's what we said. That was the sort of the mandate. In a funny way, I think it really helped. It also mm-hmm. delivered for me some of my, my single most favourite moments. Like that thing about enjoy by, we got into a little bit of trouble for trading standards, but because you're not, you're not supposed to write enjoy by, you're supposed to write use by. So we had this whole like convoluted argument with them about if you don't actually use a fruit juice, it's the wrong word of the language. You don't use fruit, you know, you, you, you consume it and enjoy it anyway. So we were like, okay, fine. But then we used to do this thing, which I knew was definitely, definitely naughty. We used to put fake joke ingredients on the labels. And then there was this one where, you know, it said on the side, six strawberries, two bananas, yes. one orange and two plump nuns, right? It's not even funny, is it? It's just a bad joke. Anyway, I print this label, forget about it, it goes out into the... And anyway, I get this call and I, I can't remember her surname, which is called Denise. And she worked for Kensington and Chelsea Trading Standards. And she rang, rings me one day and goes, Mr. Reed, you know, we've got this, we've had a complaint about this bottle and it says two plump nuns in the, in the uh, ingredient panel. And I go, well, I'm, I'm terribly sorry, it's just our stupid sense of humor but obviously no one's going to take it seriously she goes well we do we're launching a formal investigation and i remember thinking two thoughts simultaneously which is oh crikey that sounds a bit serious but oh wow i just can't wait to see where this ends up and and, and actually where it ends up is i have to uh, you know the, the written submissions which isn't good enough that again there's a formal hearing that i have to go to and i'm not entirely sure it was actually technically a court of law but i had to go to this room in the town center where there's a set of three people sat behind a desk and the guy in the middle is wearing a black gown and there's a lady on a stenograph machine typing everything. So I'm putting my case for the sort of defence and Denise is there putting the case for the prosecution. The guy in the gown sits there, listens to both and he goes, okay, so he's going to retire to this room and consult his colleagues and, and, and send me his written ruling. And about 10 days later, I get this letter and it's my favourite bit of business correspondence I've ever got because I open it. It goes, dear Mr. Reed, you must either take off the reference to plump nuns or start using them in your fruit juice. And I'm just like, oh, I love this. <laughs> this is this is like I'm I'm so framing that. I mean, that's going in the loo. Isn't yeah, it? That, that is that's like, a, that is that's along with any one of my other proudest days, proudest in moments yeah, yeah. and things. Yeah, and I thought, oh fight my the system. goodness, what a story! <laughs> but it's what I love and truly admire. And as you said, the fact that you brought this fun, this human element to it, and I think a lot of businesses will start or continue. And I certainly know this, where you believe that if you're in business, somehow we go back to maybe what our fathers or our fathers' fathers. You know, it's the suit, it's the it's the constraints it's it's what should be whereas actually what you guys did was you connected with that customer you actually said well this is my customer we're going to connect you you called your offices fruit towers and I mean just for the fact that you called it fruit towers at a time where it wasn't all about beanbags and trendiness and Silicon Valley and all this sort of thing. Yeah, we, actually, yeah, we started you before were, they even you, existed. Exactly. Yeah. So you were the guys that did this. You were the place that people wanted to work. Your values were strong, but you also looked like you were having the best time too. And I think it was at a time where... Can I just say? Yeah. We really, really were. It was yeah. so much fun. I'm doing it with my two best mates. And the thing that we're building, and we had this internal house phrase, which was... We, we take the serious bit seriously. You, you would not, to this day, find a company that was more committed to ethical sourcing, making sure everything is deeply healthy and nutritionally beneficial. We got our entire supply chain to go to green electricity. We gave 10% of the profits to charity. We made every single employee a shareholder, so there was wealth redistribution. That stuff, health, ethics, 
we were like deadly serious about that. But you can take all that stuff seriously without taking yourself seriously. And doing things with a bit of lightness and humor, yeah, sure. But it can't be at the expense of. But my view was the society kind of makes assumptions. If you turn up in a suit and tie, you're a serious, credible person. And if you turn up in a T-shirt, you're not. I'm like, no, I think that's just a choice of whether you've got a weird piece of fabric around your neck or not. You know, it's, it's, it's your actions that count. It's what, it, what is it you're physically making and what is the way you're making it and what are you doing with the proceeds of having made it. That's what businesses should be judged upon. And I have to say, and I'm not trying to blow a trumpet, you screen innocent against those criteria, then I think we get big ticks. And it was at a time, and I'm going to talk about that, where this was not being done. You know, this wasn't being done. But just on a little fun bit, I was at a dinner party the other day and someone still, and I remember in the past people mentioned this, just tell me about the banana phone. <laughs> it was a banana phone. We just like call the banana phone, but it's a banana. I mean, it is literally, look, no big deal. We found a plastic yellow banana phone down one of the tech shops on Tottenham, Tottenham Court Road. And we're like, oh, we've got to have that. So that, that was the consumer phone line. People would ring and you pick up the banana phone and speak to the consumer. Because it always said on the side of the bottle, either pop round to Fruit Towers or give the banana phone a call. And I, if I believe anything, congruency. You have to, what you think and what you feel has to match what you say and what you do. Innocent is in no way a perfect entity, but it was always that. There was a congruency. It was about nature, health, ethics, community. The way we purported to the world was the reality. And that's why we could have a literally open door policy to this day that anyone can go around Fruit Towers and they will be welcomed in without an appointment to see it. Because it's your business as much as it's ours, you know, we are the customer, the customer is us. Without the customers, we're just some very strange people with a very expensive fruit crushing hobby. So it is entirely dependent on people buying the product. So why wouldn't you want them engaged? You have to listen to them and make sure that what we're doing is what they want. Otherwise, you're not going to have a business. As I looked at the business landscape, I realised there was so much wisdom out there which hadn't been uncovered and yet, sharing it with the world would empower so many. It's why at Holly & Co, we have created a new world you can see, watch, read and listen to today. With a single aim, to support you as you navigate your own steps on your business journey. Bringing you advice and business inspiration like never before. The Advice Hub is a free online library, somewhere to go when feeling lost or needing some guidance. We delve into lessons learnt the hard way so you don't have to with these articles, written by myself alongside experts and other small business founders who share their own experiences. We cover everything from top marketing tips on how to increase your email subscribers to the truth behind working with your partner or how about overcoming parental guilt as a female founder, a subject I know will resonate. I'd love for you to go and experience it for yourself. So after this podcast, head over to holly.co and see what advice is most useful to you. And if there's something you'd like to see us cover, please do get in touch. Now let's get back to our conversation of inspiration. I mean, I admire the brand so much, but one of the things that I absolutely love was the tiny knitted hats. Um, <laughs> yeah. But seeing these tiny hats on your smoothies in the supermarkets, which you just didn't equate. Why am I seeing an innocent bottle? Very with disruptive in a funny way. Very, very disruptive. But in a really cute way, right? But in such a smile on your face. And yeah. even better, you know, these hats were donated by the public who sent them in. And for every smoothie you sold, you donated 25p to Age UK. And since 2003, I believe, 7.5 million hats have been knitted. Yeah. Um, raising nearly 2.5 million. Am I right in saying that for age UK? Like, yeah. And, you know, this is all just a guy in Innocent that's come up with this idea. goes, mate, I've had this idea. I'm going to get hats knitted by volunteers and we'll raise money for charity. Um, and that's just my, my eternal discredit. I went, mate, I don't think that's going to work. You're going to at least need to find a factory in China to make the hats. He goes, no, no, I'll get them on this by hand, by volunteers. All you've got to do is commit the 25p per hat. And I go, well, that's easy, mate, because you're not going to get any hats, are you? Anyway, it's like... First year, 3,000 hats. Second year, 20,000 hats. Third year, 80,000 hats. Tenth year, 4.1 million hats. 
all knit by volunteers all across the world. Insane. Innocent is the world's biggest producer of woolen hats. Admittedly, they're very small. It's like, how did that happen? We were like, especially making fruit juice. We're like the world's largest maker of hats. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I so don't funny, can't believe it? that. Yeah, I know. But it, it, the, the fact is, is that you listened to that employee that came up with that idea. You oh, might innocent. Not, you, you were allowed to just, just like, don't, don't ask me for permission. You, you know that phrase, don't have permission, ask for forgiveness. It's like, don't even ask for forgiveness. If, you, if, you, if you've got a good idea and it's in line with the mission and the values of the business, definitely try. Don't, don't ask fast forgiveness. How patronising. It's not wrong to try and do something great for the business. So we would celebrate the successes. We would celebrate the failures. We made a big thing out of celebrating people that were prepared to stop things. Because you do need to be able to start things. You need to also have the confidence and the maturity to stop things. When it turns out that one's not working, that's okay. So we're going to try another thing and that might work. And so mm. celebrating the no's, celebrating the yeses, celebrating the wins, celebrating the failures. Because what really drove innocent success fundamentally was, of course, the team. You're getting... You, you win in business long-term, not through your IP and not through your capital base. You, you win long-term, long-term, if you attract and retain and develop and motivate the, the best talent. We always look for two, what I call two twin jet engines, altruism and ambition, and you want it in equal measure. You get too much ambition and not enough altruism, you just sort of become a sort of slightly you know, unpleasant person. If it's all altruism and ambition, it's like... It's great, come buy our stuff, but actually we need to grow a business because we want to make, you know, get, get lots of healthy products out there and make money and get some for charity. So twin engine, altruism, ambition. Ooh, it's a really love, lovely mixture. I think that's what Innocent's got. You hardwired this into your business at a time where you were one of the first people, I would say, to do this. Whereas today, let's say, we talk about being consciously consuming. We are talking more than ever about our issues with plastic. We're talking about balancing profits with purpose. Where do you think that came from, from you guys? You wanted your time in your business to have positive impact Absolutely. before you could even pay the rent. Absolutely. So tell me where you think that came from. Well, I think what's really interesting is it's actually in all three of us. It's not like it was just me or just Adam. There was never any debate from the beginning. As you say, these sort of elements were, were at least some of them were there. Some grew. For me personally, I, I think it's just upbringing. I grew up in a small village in Yorkshire. Every year there was a thing called the Upper Hopton Gala and the community would come together, sort of like the dads would put, build the stalls and the mums would bake the cakes. And sorry, gender stereotyping, but this is Yorkshire in the 1970s. It was like that. And there'd be, and, and there'd be like Tom Bowlers and you'd raise money and, oh my God, we loved it. Kids in the village. And so I got a real sense of community. I got a sense of raising money for charity. My mum started my entrepreneurial flywheel going just when I, we'd been, we were walking around Hudders for one day and there's a, there's a stall Greenpeace and it's showing these horrific photographs of dolphins being slaughtered. And it had the effect, me as an, I think it was eight, like viscerally upset by it. It's quite a sensitive kid actually. And I was like, how, what, you know, it's like how, and you just, as a kid, you, you kids are called. How on earth? Well, yeah, and kids are the soothsayers, right? Mm. They just see things that it's like, why is that happening? And what can I do? And she says, well, you could raise money. How do I raise money? So we could have a jumble sale in the village, go around and ask. So my mum suggested me going and knocking on doors, you got the old jumbles and had a jumble sale in our garage. We, I think we, I think 11 pounds, 83 pence we made. Not bad. <laughs> got in the Murfield Reporter, our local rag. There's a picture of me with the mass, this, you know, when you get those massive charity checks, because it's 11 pounds, 83, <laughs> so, you know, but you know, I'm eight. So, you know, not too bad, I guess. I learned then you can, you can change stuff. You can do stuff. You can start stuff. I, I don't know if my mum hadn't suggested that. If I hadn't seen that Greenpeace thing, probably not sat here today, you know. Also, you know, my, I, I actually credit quite a lot to my bigger sister. She's, she's as big a hippie as you can get. You know, she lives off the grid, no mobile phone, won't have a bank account. The kids giving birth doing a TP in the back garden, Native American chanting music. But she is like, one of my friends described as a hug manifested as a person. She's just a, so loving, sees the positive in everything. And it's just like having that just 18 mm. months older than me, just this constant sort of loving and actually a very perceptive sense of things aren't quite the, what we see. I remember, I remember when I started Innocent, she sent me this magazine clipping for one of her sort of crazy hippie magazines. And it said that 
all cars on the road today could run on vegetable oil. It's just the oil companies don't want you to know that. And she sent me this thing. And I remember thinking, I feel sorry for my sister. She's so naive. She thinks that's actually true. Ten years later, I'm literally outside fruit towers with these massive tubs of vegetable oil, tipping them into our, our, our vans going, it's true, they can. So sometimes I've always thought mm -hmm. the, the hippies are actually the people that are ahead in society saying this is where it's going, this mm -hmm. is what we need to be aware of, this is the stuff that's great, this is the stuff that we should be trying to reduce. And So I'm, 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 I'm a big fan of like organisations like Greenpeace. They are sort of lobbying. They are the grassroots marketing organisation for planet Earth saying, because all the people in suits, they're going, no, we're not. No, mm -hmm. we're not doing that. We're not digging. No, we're not doing that. It's fine. No, th those chemicals are safe. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, they're not, mate. Mm -hmm. So I, we need the hippies to sort of ring the bell. Mm -hmm. You look back at that influence that might have been in your home and you actually think that that mm -hmm. subconscious was absorbing. Well, I'm aware that. of it, yeah. And yeah. so now looking back, you can connect those dots. But before we talk about your latest business, you had a huge monumental success with Innocent. From an outside perspective, it can often seem like an overnight success story. But my aim with this podcast is to bring to life the amount of utter sheer hard work, the complete shitstorms that have to be dealt with, battled through to grow a brand and to talk honestly about the huge ups and the monumental downs. You had a very hard year in 2008 with the global crisis. Could you talk a little bit about that and what kept you actually strong and able to get through that time? Yeah, it was a really, it's a really good question because the reality is the first night, we started in 99 and 99 to 2007, essentially everything worked. Stressful because you, you, everything's growing so quickly, but we didn't have any bad luck. And then 2008, it was like the 10% bad luck you'd get each year that had been not incurred. Accumulating. Accumulating with interest. And you go, here it is. It's like, wow. So suddenly our, our, our sales collapse by uh, 30% in three months. So the, the, we're declining by 10% a month for three months. We have previously forecast that we're going to grow by 40%, but we've declined by 30%. But because of our industry, you have to buy all the fruit contract year in advance. So suddenly now we're sat on 16 million pounds with the fruit that we don't no longer need. We've been employing people for a business growing by 40%. It's now minus 30%. By the way, for the first time ever, we borrowed some money from the bank the year before, set against our profit and revenue targets, which we've always smashed, which we've now completely failed to meet. They want the money back. We don't have it. They, you read the detail of the paperwork. Oh, they now get to be the legal owners of the business if we don't pay them back the money. All this is going on at the same time. And then our supplier that makes 100% of our products on a daily basis because they're fresh and, you, you know, you, you juice and bottle them, ship them every single day, calls us at 1 p.m. on a Friday and go, we're really, really sorry. We wanted to tell you this before, but legally we weren't allowed to. As of 5 o'clock this afternoon, we're going into receivership. This is the last time we'll ever be making smoothies for you. And we're like, what, what do you mean? Because you are our entirety of our My business goodness. system. And you go... So yeah, you were saying shit storm stands on. It's like, and that was all just sort of happening simultaneously. It was like, wow. Now, you said, you know, what our forties you've got us through it. The truth is, we didn't know what to do. For the first few months of the sales going down, where there was a denial, it's like, oh, it'll get better next month. It'll get next. And so we didn't act early enough. The consequence of us not acting early enough meant we had to lay off more people when we did do it. So that's I can blame the external circumstances. And that was what precipitated the issue. But there's a failure of, of myself of not reading the signs quicker enough and acting quicker enough. And more people lost their jobs than they needed to. It also showed me the unbelievable benefit of having people in your team smarter than you. And to a certain extent, with some more experience than you. Because that thing about the because the sort of the reduction in sales, that's like a slow death. The supply going out of business is, mm -hmm. that's it. Done. Mm -hmm. Four hours to go. We had one guy in the business who was a bit older than us. We brought in, he was our supply chain guy. He knew what to do. I swear that guy saved our business. A guy called Steve Spall, he saved our business. We didn't. Well, I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I, can make, I, can, I can make some funny jokes with the label, but that's not quite what we need right now, is it? <laughs> no, no. It wasn't so, but the, he, he managed, to, he managed to orchestrate through that. I'm like, wow, thank you. You got through that time. We got through that time. 
But here's the thing, right? It, what it did do, and it's a cliche, but wow, did it make the business better? Maybe sure. stronger. Maybe more resilient. Leaner. Yeah, leaner, yes. I yeah. remember there was this thing, you know, I, I love I, I love the culture innocent. So positive, so much fun, so many social events. And we you know, we actively organized countless nights out for the team. It was really brilliant. We even had someone that over time their role became one hundred percent their employees to organize parties for the business. That's a signal. The ultimate signal is that after one of the big nights out, she presented me a genuine full leather-bound photo album of, of some of the photos that before. And on it, there is a gold-encrusted uh, coat of arms that she's had made like for Innocent. Like, you know, there's, a, there's an orange in it and a bottle of smoothie. And I'm thinking, that's, that was that's the sign. It's like <laughs> when you've got someone employed full-time to develop leather-bound, gold-encrusted photo albums of your nights out, you know <laughs> you've lost track of what's important. I'm all for the fun and the yeah, of course. But that was consumer. just that just hit that nerve where you thought, right, okay, uh oh, uh -oh. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> this is the we become one of those companies. Yeah, so you, you back to you, basics. Back to basics. Is you, it natural? Is it healthy? Is it affordable? Does it look great on shelf? Let's do that. It's interesting because you had this. I mean, you know, it's probably undescribable the the stress that was going on in the external world, not only in your internal world, but just it was carnage. And you yeah. saw your way through it. From that point... Well, I think we saw, it's, as you said, it's a sandstorm. Yes. We felt our way through yes, it with you... some fantastic guidance by people that knew the path a little bit better than we did. And from that moment, Coca-Cola came into your lives in that period of time. You then... Well, actually, Coca-Cola had been trying to come into our lives since our second year in business. Wow. Second year in business, they ring up and they go... Hey, we've seen the products out on shelf. Uh, we love the brand. We love the philosophy. Are you looking for investment? And we were like, no, 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 thanks, no thanks. And each year, and just once, once a year, they make the phone call. Go, hey, just calling, see how's it going. Just let you know if you're ever looking, you know, for investment. Well, like, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. <laughs> Cut to 2008. We're now millions of pounds in debt. The bank's about to foreclose on us. I mean, maybe they go, hey guys, and I'm like. Oh, yeah, yeah, it'd be great, actually. It's like, oh, my God, were we keen to talk to them? I mean, we ran a whole process, and I, but it's like, I, I, I you know. You, you, I, but I, if you think about that, you know, to, when into, you say, two years in, they made that call. Mm, and you well, think, year, actually, yeah. for 18 months, you had, had received more no's in your life than ever before. And yeah. from that point... Oh, we had Coke and Unilever trying to invest in Yeah, so you had 24 months later, from mm, all of those mm. no's, from being at the point where you were feeling the stupid, you know, the most craziest, stupid person on planet earth to have created this idea 24 months later you have coca-cola knocking at your door and it does show you doesn't it that you know that this complete opposite ends of the spectrum yeah can happen you know that oh yeah that I, can I mean, actually happen and for most people's first business it tends to be like that doesn't it it's like mm -hmm. it starts with of course not mm -hmm. but if somehow if you keep going and, and going back to this earlier point what kept me going yes the team Firstly, absolutely. But secondly, it was the yes and no bin test. Because I did know this. It was the thing that kept us saying, it's like, but customers like it. Mm. So the VC guys are telling me why it won't mm. work. Mm. And the manufacturers, by the way, are also saying, no way, that's not how to do it. Everyone's giving me all these intellectual mm. reasons, but, but, but I know it tastes The most delicious. important people. Yeah, the most important people. Are telling didn't me. know us. Yeah. It wasn't like me asking my mum and dad. It's like, mm. The, mm. it's a thousand people that don't know is paying mm. full market price mm. going, yeah, oh, that is yeah. amazing. I haven't, yeah. I haven't tried that before. I'd love that. Where are going to get it from? That's what you hold on to. It can't just be your own belief. I think it has to be it has to be evidence consumers want it. So you made that phone call to Coca-Cola. Thank goodness no, they, they called. Me, yeah. like, Thank oh, God they called. Right, yeah, hey, pop over. Yeah, exactly. I've got a smoothie you might be able to how's, try. How's half an hour's time? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's been documented and people have spoken about the innocent Coca-Cola deal. And it's something I wanted to touch on and then moving on. But the sense of... Well, what do you do with a business? Yes, you can grow it until you're 60 years old, 70 years old. But ultimately, as entrepreneurs, you did something to change the world in your own way. You have an opportunity to then to let it take its next stage. And you chose that. It happens to be Coca-Cola, who probably know exactly what they're doing when it comes to drinks, et cetera, et cetera, and a global brand. How did you feel about that time? Because there, there is this sort of outside perspective of, Oh, gosh, you know, selling doing out. it, selling out. Yeah. But you want to say to someone, well, to start with, that entrepreneur who got a billion no's, 
if they can say, you know what, I can say to myself that I'm going to be relatively okay for these 15 years I've killed myself, I'm going to be relatively okay for the rest of my life. Would anyone else say no? Secondly, if you can put it into a position, that business into a position where actually it can take on that next stage of its journey, again, would anyone say no? So I think if you put yourself in actually the shoes of those three guys that just built a brand, would you say no? And I'd love just to hear that perspective of what that time was like. And was it was it a sad period of time, an emotional period of time? Well, the, the 2008 was a scary period of time. The, the Doing the deal with Coke, what it actually, the, the, the situation precipitated the need to raise some money, right? It's, it's that straightforward. We owe millions of pounds. We don't have it. The bank's going to foreclose if we don't pay it back. We need some cash. How are we going to get cash? You've got to sell a bit of the business. And that's the... Pretty black and white. Pretty yeah. black and white. So we run a process. You know, we appoint a person who's, you know, running the process. We launch the prospectus for investing in the business on September the 14th of 2008, the day that Lehman Brothers goes under. And I remember the guy, our advisor, going, congratulations, guys, you're starting a fundraising process on the worst day in financial history. What actually happened was really indicative. Most of the big companies, because by that point, every single big company in the past had contacted us to say they wanted to invest. Most sort of came in to hear the plan, but didn't actually offer... A load of VCs at the previous year had been like massively like positive about the business. They came in and heard the, the sort of the pitch and put in brutal offers. One was subject to stopping paying the 10% of profits to charity and paying to them as a dividend. Another one was us be, take, you know, forgoing shares and becoming sort of managerial with them giving the right to, to fire us and brutally low valuations. Coke's view was this, like, you're having a bad year, but we've been through... <laughs> Two world wars and three depressions, it, it, it'll come back. We fundamentally believe in the brand and the philosophy. And they were like, yep, straight away sign up to the principle. The profits coming, continue to be paid to charity. Love the idea that all the employees were shareholders. The fundamental values that we believed in, we just saw we're going to be enhanced more than anything. And our mission was not to stay small. Our mission was to get as many natural, healthy and ethical drinks to as many people and places as possible and raise money for charity in the meantime. They were a very safe harbour to go to and one that we've, to this day, have a fantastic relationship with. Their one condition on buying a small bit of the business is that at some point in the future, they could have the right to acquire all of it because otherwise their view was, well, what are we going to do with a bit of a juice business? But wow, what a deal because in return for buying that small bit, they also not only committed to sort of honour all the sort of the things that we we kept full control until the day that we left. Quite amazing. That is amazing. We had a sort of a deal with them that we could, at some point, at our choice in the future, decide a date when we were going to sell our shares, and we could do some some in a few years, some a bit later. There was a point where in this, where Coke owned fifty six percent of the shares, so the majority, and we still had entirely full operating control of the business because we'd separated out votes from... Quite unheard of, huh? I, I think corporate... I've never it, heard of that. It, I've never heard of it. Again, massive credit to our lawyers, Paul Chappie and Philip Gilson wilson They made us twice as rich as we would have been. But as important as money, we kept control of our business. Mm. And of course, the guy that did the deal, who's now actually the global CEO, James Quincy, obviously like the smartest guy in the room, he knew if you're going to fiddle with it, you're going to ruin it. So it's like, mm. back them, let them get on with it. Mm. And so actually now, Innocent, you know, since that was done in 2008, the business was turning over about sort of 110 million. It's now doing about 400 million. It's like, it's just, it's launching in Japan. It's launching in China. So our secret crazy dream that we never dared show because we thought it was so unlike to the point of it's just naive to think about it, that one day Innocent would become this sort of global juice brand. Well, it's already now the biggest juice brand in Europe and has been for a couple of years. It's now on track to be the global one. It's Coke's go-to brand for every market outside of, of, of the US. Isn't and we that remake, amazing? It, for me, it's amazing. It is amazing. But again, I just feel, I feel teary you saying that. That's but, just... You know, uh, you know, and, and Douglas, the guy that's running Innocent now, is a guy that you know we worked with for seven years. It was like no one lost their job when we sold yeah. to Coke. No one came from Coke to do a job. It was an entirely innocent takeover of Innocent. You know, it's all the, our existing board members, they haven't got promotion, everyone got some money. It's just such a... A ref, uh, just a beautiful moment for, for everyone all around. He just, I got two days ago a picture of go thought you'd like to see this, and it's the picture of the innocent office in, in Tokyo. It's the same office, just decked out with AstroTurf, with a group of people 
you know, doing the innocent thing, getting natural healthy it's drinks. It's just amazing. It was super it's fun. Just and now we get to go to the launch party. Yeah. I don't have to do any work. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. I know it's Very just cheesy grateful. to say. I, I, I just feel like the luckiest guy. The luckiest guy. I love the story that when we, we nearly lost it all. I know. You you nearly lost Four it all. Four hours. Yeah. And now you worked your socks off. You had that belief. But the, the day that it all... I, I don't, to, I, to be honest, I don't think I had the belief. I didn't think it was going to work. The belief was it's definitely not going to work. No. No, definitely the belief is it's not going to work, but it's still worth a go. Yeah. Okay. We had our 5% probability event, which is one day it becomes international. I had this really weird thing that... <laughs> And it sounds incredibly specific, but I had this vision that one day it'd be this international business that I'd it that, that the corner of the office where I sat would be the walls would be made of glass, you know, like the exterior walls, and Bill Clinton would be speaking in our in our, in our office. This is what I'm thinking in 1999. I'll show you out there. I've got the picture of me and Bill in Fruit Towers next to the world's biggest innocent bottle. I thought, well, if I'm gonna get Bill Clinton, I'm definitely gonna get the, the product shop, me next to him. And we moved into a new office in 2008, and I, and I look, and, and, I, and I didn't, I didn't assign. Are you going to say not, this going to corner gut? And I didn't even assign my seat. I left the facilities manager, turn up one day, I'm like, oh, that's really weird, because that is definitely a glass corner thing. <laughs> like, ah! The vision. You Write left, the letter to the universe, you know that thing? You left Fruit Towers by boat along the canal, and you started Jam Jar Investments on the Monday morning, I hear. What was that first day like for you? You know, did you think, I'm just going to do this again? The conversation probably goes something like this. Oh, sorry. What I did want to say about the innocent thing is, if I had been the guy that we nearly were within four hours of having built this thing, mm -hmm. it going wrong, and then losing everything, being shown the door, that would have been unbelievably traumatic. We left it in rude health on our terms with a great payoff for us and everyone involved. I, we didn't walk out feeling we've got to do all that again. We walked mm -hmm. out going... Right. Um, well, we definitely need somewhere to hang out during the day, don't we? <laughs> Adam John already uh, had kids. Our other halves are seriously not going to Well, they already have kids, home. you see, because they're yeah. like, mate, we can't stay at home. We're doing it involved in childcare. <laughs> so we're like, okay, so we just got this childcare avoidance centre. So we're going to find a nice place. What are we going to do in it? Well, does anybody want to start a business? Not really. It's really hard work. So we'll do investing. It's definitely much easier. <laughs> so that's what we do. And the driving force behind starting Jam Jar, the, the sort of philosophy in what you look for, because I've recently spoken to a few people on this podcast. So Edward Perry from Cook, he's just become a B Corp corporation. Yeah. And I hear that Innocent actually has become a B Corp corporation. It has, yeah. I'm noticing more and more the fact that business can be this power, this force for good. At Holly & Co, we call them the good life companies, where they can balance the idea of happiness or profits with doing good or being good. You said, I like businesses that are genuinely improving things, finding better solutions to old problems. Business really is the economic engine that drives society. But that's not enough. It should be making money and, and that and is key. Do you apply that to your investments um, when you look for prospective investments here at Jamjar? The short answer is yes. Yes, we do. But we're also conscious of we are never going to try and force our way of thinking onto someone else. I mean, good luck trying to get an entrepreneur to do things that they don't want to do anyway. But yes, we, we, do, we just wouldn't have invested in Wonga. We want to invest in businesses that our, our belief is for both sort of commercial reasons and sort of spiritual reasons that just are in the, in the business of creating little moments of joy. And it sounds a bit pretentious to say it like that way, but they are little granular moments of joy when, when the sort of the thing that the business does the job well and the product well, and it's a positive thing. And, and I'm a big believer in just back the stuff that's good for everyone, good for shareholders, good for society, good for the customers. If you approach it, it's not just about the money, then I find life gets so much more interesting. And it's a really nice way to filter because you have to filter because yep. there's, there's yep. a billion ideas out there. So you've got to find out what, what's our patch. Well, our patch is that, you know, we're going to invest in businesses that make money and contribute in addition to that. And you make great investments. I mean, they're all in my house, you know, delivery for my son, Harry, is far too many times in our household. Tails, my Mr. Mudley, who's my boarder, is in love with it. Greys, which comes to our office, et cetera, et cetera. 
So entrepreneurship, what you now see, so you are an entrepreneur, were a famous entrepreneur starting up innocent. You now then now invest in entrepreneurs. So you're on the sort of other side of the table. And when we look at sort of the demeanor here, I would say in the UK, um, it was interesting, Johnny Bowden and Wilfred, who founded The Black Farmer, mentioned it, this sort of, um, when they've gone to America, this sort of American dream mentality and how they feel that we're held back as us Brits. We're, We're held back in some way. What have you seen? And would you believe in that or do you agree in that statement? Or do you feel that the age of entrepreneurship is upon us and that actually it's never been easier to be an entrepreneur? You look back to when you started, Richard, and it's very different to today. But that spirit, has that spirit changed? When I was a kid, right, the archetype of, of, a, of a businessman or entrepreneur was Arthur Daly. Yeah. Right. Arthur Daly off Minder or like Del Boy. Del Boy, yeah. It was seen as a slightly dodgy thing, businessman, entrepreneur, a bit dodgy. I actually, I think uh, society just evolves, doesn't it? But there are things, I think Branson made a massive difference personally. Mm-hmm. Branson, in my world, is the first guy that made business cool and hip and sexy and countercultural and fun and different. To a certain extent, he sort of, he gives you the license, he's underwritten a license for the entrepreneurs to do it with a bit of joy and, you know, Innocent, ultimately, is not original. Innocent is that we've stolen a thousand different ideas, you know, as I said, from Upper Hopton Gala via Patagonia, the company that does the 10% of profits to charity. You know, we, we, we steal everything and then we repurpose it and make it our own. And I, I just think that there's, there's just never been a better time to be an entrepreneur. And wow, there's never been more need for it. Because entrepreneurs are the yeast through which society grows its bread. It's how change happens. It's how things are better. And entrepreneurship, I don't mean just in a literal business sense. I mean, being entrepreneurial, taking on a problem, solving it, wanting to make things better, collaborating, come to understand this about the, f- the world. If we want a good future, we're going to have to learn how to share in it a little bit better. And entrepreneurship, it's what I love about it. And it's what I love about investing, actually. It's a deeply collaborative yes. bit of the world. There's so much more opportunity for entrepreneurs if there's already lots of successful entrepreneurs. Same with investing. Much better to invest alongside another investor than like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I want it all. It's like, no, much better to have a, a wider set of talents and experiences sat around yeah. the, the table. Yeah. I think you can do it now at any age. I get really excited about 15-year-olds doing it. When you see that seven-year-old kid that's is, is Google's number one income earner. Raised toys or something? It's like yes, the reviews of, yeah. of the toys. So you can, uh, by the way, age seven, I was selling... I was selling jars of perfume in inverted commas, which were actually in jam jars, funny enough, yes. which was just with rose petals and water at two p ago. So I think S- I think same same similar. You could say in some <laughs> metrics he's doing slightly better. <laughs> but then How, I know of um, seventy-year-olds starting businesses. Yeah, it's like it's, it's for everyone. It's the it? equal opportunities yeah, employ. It's, it's like it's a state you, of mind. It's rather a state. It's a state else. of mind. Whereas before we used to look at the. The, who you were, what you were, et cetera, et cetera, and then allow you to do it or not. Whereas now it's a state of mind and we have that we have that incubator now, which is us as society. Yeah. Recognise it. We support it. Crowd, you literally, we literally crowdfund it. That, didn't, that wasn't a thing. It literally didn't exist 15 don't years ago. Don't we wish that was a thing at some point? Oh, we wish, wish that was wish a thing. thing. <laughs> I wish social media and crowdfunding had been a yeah, thing. I know. I could carry on forever and ever, but I know you've got a lot of things to get going with. A couple of last questions that I ask everybody at the end of this podcast, because I believe that running your own business is like one scary roller coaster. Can you tell me what one of your greatest highs has been so far in your career? The best moment actually of Innocent for me personally, and I have to say I'm dealing with an unbelievable massive buffet of fantastic moments. It was sort of, it wasn't all fantastic. It was bits that were stressful and where I felt out of my depth and all that sort of stuff. But And you know what? And this is going to sound really self-aggrandizing and I but it's not my intention. But I've literally, I've been, I have been awarded on national television by the serving current serving prime minister a trophy saying the greatest British business person. Right? That's definitely not the highlight. Wow. It's definitely not that. <laughs> but all those things, cool. all those things you think, you know, I've got it. You know, you see what yeah. I did there, getting into the. Right? <laughs> Here's the highlight, and it's insane, really. But if I'm being honest, this was my favourite single moment. It was about eight years in. 
we have decided to run our very first TV advert. We haven't employed an ad agency. We've written a little advert ourselves and filmed it down the park with a friend who like, was a film student. It's a little simple stop frame animation of a little innocent cartoon it. waddling on the thing. Okay, hello, we're innocent. We make yeah. smoothies and all these figures. And goes, pop, 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 pop. So we're in the editing suite. It's late at night. We're putting it all together. And there's, there's the final bit where a story disappears and we want a ping. And working with the sound engineer, he's going through all these like recorded pings, and we, they're not, they're, they're not all, they're just not quite right. I've got my hippie mate in the b- background who's actually just waiting for me to finish so we can go out, and and he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, this, in a way, as if it's like this is completely known to him. He goes, yeah, the problem is, mate, you haven't got the right chakra. You need to choose the chakra and then get the right note for the right chakra. I'm like, right. <laughs> And do you heart chakra? Heart chakra. I am never. Hell forget, yeah. I mean, didn't know it had an actual tone. Do you, you know? But Neither we, did I till we, then. We, we, but we this guy's like, well, yeah, obviously. Of course, you know, it's like, a G. you know, the sky's blue. You know, <laughs> chakra heart's G. It's probably maybe G. I can't remember. Yeah. Apologies to all the chakra musicians. If I've got the G, the maybe G it was a wrong. C. And and the opposite to that, Richard. What was has been one of your lows. Oh, well, there's, there's, no, there's no contest in that one. That is standing in front of the team on the Monday morning. We had a Monday morning meeting every single Monday for 15 years, 9 a.m. My job was always to start the business day by introducing the new starters. And this was an incredible thing about Innocent. It's like there was literally at least someone every week starting. And we'd mm-hmm. go, this is new, and say a few fun facts, introduce them to the business. There was one week where not, I'm standing and going, we're we're really sorry. This is the situation. You know, the business in turmoil, at least 10% of you are going to be losing your jobs. That's the worst bit. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't mean for me. I mean, mm-hmm. on behalf, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of, yeah. Because as I said, that's our fault. But, you know, it was also the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. It would have been, we should have done it sooner, better, mm-hmm. but we'd never experienced that before. Mm-hmm. We did it in the right way. Everyone left with as generous a settlement as we could do at the point. We had the Christmas party on the Friday and every single person came. So there was sort of, mm. people got it and understood it. And... Mm. Thank you tremendously, Richard, for our conversation today. I've really... I love looked... it. It's like I've sort of, th- I feel like I... I've, I've therapised. Oh, I, I, I just can't tell you. You know, you're, as you said, you were on that TV getting that award. And I think that that's how people look at you. You're the poster boy of how to build a famous brand. But I think that Well, this is the great are... irony, isn't it? I... I... Me and Adam John get all the public credit. It's like there's 300 people doing the work. Insane, really. It is. And and you've made that very clear in this interview. But you have obviously a fantastic heart. You're a force of good. Innocent is a beloved brand and it certainly um, makes us all proud. And it will be a real highlight in my career to be sitting here with you. So thank you so much for your time. I really, really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. Every week. Back, I... Use Nat West. <laughs> Good yes, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Every week I ask my guests, though, to write a letter to their younger selves. And I savour this bit because it's a little bit that I don't know about. And I can't wait to hear yours, Richard. So I hand it over to you. So I think I'm writing this to my sort of around about my 11-year-old self. Okay. Mate, I have to tell you, you're going to love it. Your life. I know right now you're feeling lonely and upset. But it turns out this period of having no friends, of running around the playground, looking at your watch, pretending you're late for meeting someone to make it look like you have friends, is temporary. Like everything, it will pass. And if you continue to endure the discomfort and put yourself out there, it will pass more quickly. You are by nature an open, friendly, thoughtful, loyal and adventurous person. And you'll discover that those qualities over the longer term will gain you many friends. And the sadness you're feeling now will actually become an asset to you, as it will add empathy to that list of characteristics. Becoming an entrepreneur will be the making of you. You've sensed that ever since your mum suggested you organise a jumble sale. Continue to start stuff, initiate, share, collaborate. Your daydreams of starting a business will come true. But in the meantime, you'll work your socks off at your exams. I know it sucks that your mates are down the pub. I think it's one bit older now. 
and you're sat in a caravan in your driveway revising, but it's a deal that pays off. You realise as you get older, there's a decade for everything. Teenage years for learning, 20s for partying, 30s for working, and your 40s for family. And that will be your best decade yet, when you become a father. It'll be later than you expect, but worth the wait. And the freedom you have from having started and sold a business means you'll have time and the kind of life that allows you to spend lots of time with them every single day. That is going to make you very, very happy. You also learn not to care about what others think. Not in a callous way. You'll remain thoughtful and generous to others, but you will have learned to ignore the negative voices in your head. They're talking horseshit. Do everything for positive reasons. Your only regrets are going to be when you acted or didn't act out of fear. Fear-based thinking gets you nowhere. Sure, why not thinking gets you much further. Oh, and while you're single, kiss as many people as possible. If you're kind and honest and respectful, there's no harm in it, and it's one of the greatest pleasures in life. Enjoy all, mate. Even the shit bits. It's all proof of being alive. <clears throat> I literally nearly cried about five times. <laughs> you know, it's... um. What's just amazing, Richard, is that um, what you touched on there is what so many people forget is that, you know, we build businesses, you sold businesses, you invest in businesses. But one of the greatest moments of your life is having that family, having that life that you've created mm. and actually running your own business and being in control of your destiny allows you to fully appreciate how beautiful that is. And it's just wonderful that that's one of your moments. And I think it is. We 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 all can't forget that. But Richard, thank it's you even so much. It's even better than the ping of the strawberry. Well, and I can't, and say, and I you... can't say more than that. <laughs> Richard, thank you. Thank you so hug. much. Gonna hug. Massive hug, hug because I, I want to cry. This is a podcast hug. It's a hot room hug. Oh. enjoyed this incredible episode with Richard Reed, I'd love to suggest listening to my conversation with Henry Dimbleby, founder of Leon. You can find Henry's interview by searching Conversations of Inspiration wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed listening, if it's helped or inspired you, would you mind rating and reviewing? Your support really does mean the world to me. It helps spread the word and will inspire more people to build a life they love. And for all our latest news, you can sign up to my weekly newsletter, Holly's Desk Notes, over at holly.co.